join us this morning for our third, uh, third message in this series, From the Pit to the Palace, a study of Joseph's life. Today we are going to be in Genesis chapter 40. So while you're turning there, let's give you just a little brief recap of how we got to this spot. Right, so we learned in chapter 37 about Joseph's family, and it ended up being by his brothers. He was dumped in a pit. They were going to leave him to die. They eventually thought better of it and decided to sell him into slavery. He went on, and when he got to Egypt, he was purchased by Potiphar, a captain of Pharaoh's guard. God was with Joseph while he was there, and it caused him to prosper while he was under Potiphar's command. And Potiphar put him in, in charge of everything that was in his house until Potiphar's wife attempted to seduce Joseph. And when he resisted that temptation, she eventually lied about him, said he attempted to rape her, and got him put into prison. However, God was still with Joseph when he got into prison, and the keeper of the prison eventually put him in charge of everything that was going on in the prison. And that kind of, as a quick recap, brings us to where we're at here in chapter 40 today. He's in prison now, but shortly he's going to be exalted as the second in command of all of Egypt. So while we're studying Joseph's time in prison today, I want you to keep one main idea in the forefront of your mind here, that what was happening to Joseph, this was God's perfect plan. This was God's perfect timing. We know this because we know it's the end of the story. We can look and kind of what I titled the message today is the final preparations. God was making the final preparations in Joseph's life before he's going to exalt him. And you know, it's easy to be patient and to trust God when we know the end, when we know what's going to come off. But when we're right in the middle of things and the future is uncertain, it's always not that easy. Think of the situation Joseph is in, right? He was given a dream that he was going to be in power over his brothers, over his entire family, and then he was sold into slavery. Through this, God was with him. So then while he was in Potiphar's house and he was succeeding at everything he was doing, he must have thought in his mind at some point, okay, now I see what that dream meant. I can see now how I'm going to be, I'm going to be raised up here. Good things are starting to happen, right? And God was present with him only to be thrown into prison. It is easy to understand if Joseph would have became bitter or angry with God at that point. Being like, God, what are you doing to me? Why why has this happened? I have done nothing but follow you. I've done nothing but be faithful to you. Why why am I taking a step backwards? This is where I am. What, What is the whole point of this, God? But we don't read that about Joseph, right? We never see that. Instead, we read that God was with him and helped him to prosper. God was in his heart. Joseph believed and understood some biblical truths that would be written later, right? Like Galatians chapter 6, 9, and 10. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially to them that are of the household of faith. You know, Joseph knew Lamentations 3, 25, 26. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope quietly and wait for the salvation of the Lord. Joseph knew Psalm 37, verses 7 through 9. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way. Because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass, cease from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off. But those that waited upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. You know, and finally, I'm sure Joseph, he knew in his heart Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for, the, for them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. You know, Joseph may not have understood everything that was going on in his life, but, but he trusted the Lord. He may have been confused or, or frustrated, but he pressed on. 
He believed that God was going to keep his promises that he got to him in the dream one day. I bet if we reflect on our lives, when we look back at things, we can see sometimes where God had things in store for us that didn't necessarily happen in our timing, the way we wanted things to happen. Just a little bit of a personal testimony before I get into the lesson here. I can see this in my own life, you know. For those that know my story a little bit, I had a drinking problem before I got saved, and I got a DUI, and that's eventually what led me to Jesus Christ, and it got me back into school. And in 2018, 2019, that year, I was going, that summer, uh, summer of 2018, I was getting ready to go into my, my graduate year. I got back into school, and I was going to become an accountant, and I thought I'd be a tax accountant. So that year, that year is a very important year when you're in school because you get your internship that, that summer, right? And if you do well in that internship, you're going to get a job when you get out of school. So I interviewed with a lot of places, and there was one I really liked called Clifton Larson Allen. This was in Champaign, Illinois, right? They fit into exactly what I thought I was looking for. I interviewed with the recruiter. I nailed that interview. Got to go see the partners, and, and by the grace of God, they love me too, and things were going well. Then all of a sudden, my background check got to HR, and HR saw that DUI on there that was only about five years old at that time. And they said, sorry, we can't hire you. I was disappointed. You know, I was crushed. So instead of having an internship that summer, I ended up working at the school, working for some of the professors. They were gracious enough to give me a job. And I thought, well, you know, it's a minor setback, no big deal, but I'll be graduating next year. You know, another nine months will pass. Maybe that'll come off my record. Well, in May of well, in April of 2019, right, we start looking for jobs. I'm getting ready to graduate. I got hired by two different companies. Again, going through the interview process, only to get both of those jobs kicked back once it got to the HR again, saying, we couldn't hire you. Right? I was devastated. I was crushed. I wasn't sure what was going on. But in my whole time that I was going through school, I had began tutoring students. I had began working with them, and I had found a passion for helping them. So I thought maybe God was guiding me in a different direction. Maybe God was guiding me to become a teacher. So I started applying for teaching jobs. And April went by, and May went by, and I still hadn't heard anything. Finally, about, I don't know, May 7th or 8th or something, I got a call from one of the least expected places, a university in China. They wanted to hire me to come over there. It was an American university over in China. So I went, again, I went through a lot of the interview process, they decided to hire me. I started filling out the pap paperwork for, uh, you know, immigration status, and the government of China said because of my DUI, they were not going to allow me into their country either. So all this time, I keep getting rejected and rejected and rejected. And believe me, there's nights that I cried myself to sleep, thinking, God, why are you putting me through this? Why did you even bring me to school? Why is all this going on? It wasn't until the middle of June that I got hired on to teach at a small school in central Illinois, 45 minutes from my hometown. And it was exactly what I wanted to do. And I taught there for one year, only to find out in March of that school year that they were going to close down and not reopen. So now I was looking for another job. I applied at several places, and it wasn't until June again that Arkansas State University BB called on me. And that's where I've been for the past four or five years. And that's what brought me here, and it brought me to this church. And I didn't know it at the time. God was preparing me to teach. God was putting me through some trials and some suffering. So I, when I finally got here, I'd be able to be successful at what I do. So I would love what I would do. And he led me to this church because he knew he had a greater purpose for me. He knew he was going to be glorified through me somehow, some way. 
I mean, three years ago, I could never imagine myself up here giving a Sunday school message, standing behind the pulpit of an independent, fundamental Baptist church. I could see myself sitting out there, but I never imagined myself up here. But that was God's plan. That was God's ultimate purpose. And he worked it out in his time for his glory. And I'm sure if you look back on your life, there, there are stories that you have like that too, where you can see God has done something great in your life that necessarily wasn't on your timing, but was in his timing. And, and that's what was going on with Joseph here. That's what's going on with Joseph in chapter 40. God's putting those final preparations on him. God's getting him ready for what he has in store for him in the future. God's getting him ready for, he's, for when he's going to be second in command of all of Egypt. So let's read through Genesis chapter 40 then. And then I found six things that I believe God was trying to teach Joseph during this time when he was helped raising into power. So Genesis chapter 40, I'm going to read through the whole chapter and then we'll talk about it. And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. When it says after these things, it's talking about after Joseph had been, been put in the jail. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in the ward of the house of the captain and the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued to season and ward. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him, the ward of the Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, We dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches, and it were as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth. And the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup unto Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine hand, Restore thee unto thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket, there was all, all manner of bakements for Pharaoh, and the bird did eat them upon the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, and shall hang them on a tree, and the bird shall eat the flesh from off thee. And it came to pass after the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler again to his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph has interpreted. Yet the chief butler, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but yet forgot him. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this passage of scripture. I pray you just fill me with your spirit. So that I may guide those hearing out here today and may somehow edify them in what you want me to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see here that Pharaoh's, 
Pharaoh's butler, or his cupbearer, the one that was in charge of giving him his drink, and the baker were both put into prison with Joseph. You know, it doesn't specifically why they say they were there. I tend to agree with most of the commentaries I wrote that there was probably some kind of plot to kill Pharaoh, to poison him, and he didn't really know who it was, so he had to do an investigation, right? Was it my cupbearer? Was it the baker? It was one of these two, but let's do an investigation. But anyway, it doesn't matter, but they were forced into jail. But the reason they were there, no, is not important as how God was going to use them to give the lessons to Joseph that was eventually going to pull him out of prison. The first lesson I want you to see that Joseph was learning, he was learning the importance of servant leadership. If we look in, in verse 4 again, right? And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. And they continued a season. So Joseph had found favor with the captain of the prison. Right? Remember how chapter 39 ended, where he says, I'm going to put all things under your charge. You know, you are the grand leader of this prison. You are like the warden. Anything that's going to be done in here, it's only going to be done because you, you say it's going to be done. Right? Some people, when they get power and authority like that, they, they become a totally different person. They believe that even every day the remedial tasks that need to be done, that's below them. You know, that's, that's not my job. They have more important things to do. You know, I know I was that way when I was in my mid-20s. I got promoted to manager at McDonald's, and I didn't think I had to do this. I didn't have to do that. I was really kind of bossy, you know. I hadn't come to know Christ yet, and I thought, you know, you're going to do it my way or the highway, and I don't have to do your job because I'm just above that. It took me a long time to learn that people do not respect or follow leaders that, that uh, behave in that way. They might do what you say, but it's only out of fear. It's not because you're being a true leader. It's not only this way in the work world where we can see this attitude, right? Sometimes we can see it in families also where the father has to be the man of the house. And sometimes he gets around where he's ordering his wife what to do. He's ordering the kids around. And he starts to believe that maybe they're there to serve him rather than the other way around where the father's supposed to be serving the family and taking care of them. You know, this is human nature because we are inherently selfish. We're always looking for whatever kind of power we can get. We don't want to know what's in it for me. Even the disciples from Jesus were not immune to that, right? If you want to turn to the, the book of Mark, in chapter 10, you, you'll see a story where, you know, James and John, they, they want to go to Jesus and say, hey, you know, can I sit at your right hand, right? They want to have some power when it gets to heaven. They want to be up there in control. And boy, did that make the other disciples kind of angry when they heard that, Right? But do you recall Do you recall what Jesus told uh, James and John there? We read in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45. But Jesus called them unto him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which were accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority unto them. But so, it, but so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister." And whosoever of you will be chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life for the ransom of many. See, what was, it, what was Jesus saying here? He was saying that, that gaining power for self-gratitude, that's what the Gentiles do, to exercise lordship over others, to put other people down. But as Christians, we should, we should not be that way. We should look, first look to serve others, not for others to serve us. And that's what Jesus did his entire ministry, right? He said, even the Son of Man came 
to serve, not to be ministered unto. You know, he gave of himself so others could be better off. He healed. He puts them in better situation. He gave of himself unto death, right? The ultimate sacrifice that others may find eternal life from him. He was the ultimate example of servant leadership. Joseph was learning that, and he was practicing servant leadership on two men that he had just met. He didn't think the job was below him to go in there and serve them. He kept the attitude that Paul wrote that we should have in the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, Paul wrote, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man upon his own things, but every man also upon the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The selfless attitude of others, selfless attitude of serving others that was being adopted by Joseph, eventually allowed him to build a relationship with these two prisoners, right? This relationship was eventually going to get him out of prison. If Joseph doesn't serve the butler, he doesn't get this personal relationship with him, and he doesn't get to learn some of the other rules, and eventually, you know, it's the butler that's going to talk to Pharaoh, and we know that he gets Joseph out of prison. But more than the future implications, building a relationship with these fellow prisoners, it leads into the second lesson Joseph is learning. So the second thing Joseph can learn is to have empathy for other people. So he's learning. If we look at verses 6 and 7 in his task, it said, Joseph came into them in the morning and looked upon the men, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of the Lord's house, saying, Wherefore you look so sadly today? Now think about this. If anybody had a right to be sad in this prison, it was Joseph. I mean, he had been falsely accused. He had been trampled on. He was doing everything right. And he was there. And have you ever been mistreated? Right? It's easy to fall into a pity party to think, oh, woe is me. You know, we start looking inward. We start looking at ourselves. But think of what Joseph was doing here. He wasn't out trying to tell everybody about the troubles that he was having. He wasn't looking for someone to comfort him. No, he had God with him to comfort him. He was looking to be a comfort to someone else. He's not focusing on his own pain, right? God was with Joseph. God is that great comforter. He was by his side the entire time. But the butler, the baker, they had no one in this prison to comfort them. They weren't sure why they were there either. Ecclesiastes, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, tells us, So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. Wherefore I praise the dead, which are already dead, more than the living, which are yet alive. Yea, better is he than both they, which hath not been, and hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. The Bible's teaching here that a man that is being oppressed, that has no comforter, is in a pretty bad situation. Right? It is better for that man to be dead, or to not even be born to be going through the troubles of the world, to have trouble and pain without having someone by their side to comfort them. You know, we need to apply this principle in our lives, you know. When we feel like we're being mistreated or just things aren't going our way, realize that we have many comforters, right? You have your family around you. You have your husband, your wives, your moms, your dad. We have our church families, fellow church members. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior today, you have him right there beside you to be the ultimate comforter. You know, you have the Holy Ghost living inside you, and, and he can comfort you better than any person can. And instead of feeling sorry for ourselves, you know, we need to look for others that are less fortunate of us, those that may not be without family in the area. 
You know, those that are suffering more pain and more sorrow, they're going for, through a harder times. We should be the comforter for them, but more importantly, we need to direct them to the great comforter. We need to bring Jesus Christ into their lives and let him know that he will be with them always. Having empathy will cause us to examine our situation, hopefully to realize that our situation really isn't as horrible as we think. Empathy will cause us to count our blessings. You know, one of the greatest things God ever did for me, I told you I, I got a DUI in 2013, and that's what brought me to God. Well, right after I got my DUI, I was in a small town in Illinois, and one of the greatest blessings I believe he ever gave to me was getting me a job in a nursing home right after that. Because, man, I was in a bad situation, although I brought it on myself, right? But I was in a tough situation here. I now come to know Christ, so I had a little bit of comfort, but I had no job, I had no money, I didn't know what I was going to do. But I had to work in a nursing home as a housekeeper. And I saw all the people in the nursing home that, that were a lot worse off than I were. You know, the sickness and the disease, and it was nothing that they had done to put themselves in this situation. I had self-inflicted my own pain. And here are, here are these people that are suffering worse than me. And they had done nothing to bring it upon themselves. You know, it was just nature that made it happen. You know, it just made me realize, it made me count my blessings. That why I may be going through a hard time right now, you know, it could be worse. Something can always be a step worse. And I still get that feeling. It's one of the reasons why I love doing the nursing home ministry now. Because anytime I'm having a bad day or a bad time, I can go in there and I enjoy putting a smile on their face, being a comfort to them, having some empathy, and being in the, seeing their situation and seeing how, you know, things in my life that I thought were just crushing me and killing me, in the grand scheme of things, they're not that important. That's not that big a deal because there's someone out there having a worse time than me. I'm sure that's what Joseph's empathy was doing for him, right? He was learning from them. He's saying, hey, I might be in a bad situation from here, but these guys, they might have it a little bit worse, right? So, and this leads to the third lesson that I think God was trying to teach Joseph in this situation, right? When he started having empathy for other people, well, God was teaching Joseph, you know, use your God-given gifts for the benefits of others and to glorify God. In verse 8, they, says, they said unto him, we have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. You know, Joseph hadn't had the best of luck with dreams in his life, right? Remember chapter 37 when he told his dreams to his brothers? Oh, that made him angry. And they said, they said Hey, here comes, the, here comes that dreamer. Let's throw him in a pit. You know, they plotted against him. So it had been very easy for Joseph to say, when they told him we've had dreams, to just step back and say, Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want nothing to do with dreams. I've had a bad experience. You know, I'm, I'm not dealing with it, right? But God, but God didn't, God had other plans for this, right? Instead, he said, I, Joseph could have said, I wish I could help you, but the interpretation of dreams belong to God. I wish I could help you, but there's nothing I can do. You know, that's from God. Joseph did half of that. He did give glory to God. He did say interpretations belong to God. But Joseph had been given a spiritual gift from God. He had been given that power to interpret those dreams. So instead of just backing away, he was going to use that gift that God had given him to help out that butler, to interpret the dreams for him. You know, for 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 9 through 10 says, Use hospitality to one another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards and manifold of the grace of God. We should use whatever God has given us, not be selfishly holding it in, not withhold our gifts, 
for our own selfish reason. Each one of in this room, if we've truly accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we've been blessed with one or more gifts from God, right? You may have the gift of serving, teaching, giving, faith, mercy, you know, several others. Whatever it is, you were called to use those to help others in the way that Joseph was going to use his gift to help the butler. Because after Joseph told him that the power to interpret dreams come from God, he's going to tell the butler to tell him his dream, which he did. The butler told him his dream, and Joseph gave him the interpretation, right? So what did the butler dream? In chapter, let's read it through again. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. And it was though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the cup and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup unto Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou was his butler. Joseph used his gift for God and gave a very specific and a very favorable interpretation to the butler. You know, we read in verse 20 of this chapter that this interpretation was also a very accurate interpretation. This is exactly what came true. He used his gift as God to minister to others. You know what? And that was a learning opportunity, but it's also that the use of that gift. See how these kind of build on each other? This is going to open up the next thing that God wants to teach him, right? And I think the next thing that God wanted him to learn here is after he used his gift for others, is that you need to recognize the opportunities when they are presented to you by God. I was reading this. I don't know if you've been around church a while. Maybe you've heard this story. The story of a man who lives in a low area. And the rains come in one time, and it's a flood. It's a real bad flood. So the man goes out, and he climbs up on the roof of his house, and the floodwaters are coming up, you know, and it's just below the roof level, and he's sitting up there. And he's a saved man. He knows Jesus Christ is his Savior, and he's praying, God, please help me. Please, please, God, save me from being up on this house. And then a few hours later, a man comes by in a rowboat and says, hey, hop on down in this rowboat. Come on, let's get out of here. And the guy says, no, it's okay, it's okay. I'm praying to God. God's, God's going to save me. So he stays up, and the rowboat goes on. A couple hours later, a guy in a motorboat comes by, comes pulling up right to the house and says, hey, jump in my boat. Let's go. Let's get out of here. This water's coming. You know, it's going to overtake you soon. I see it moving up the house, and the guy says, no, no, I'm praying to God. God is going to save me. Now the water's getting up where it's about ready to touch his feet, and he's sitting on the roof of the house, and a helicopter comes flying over. The guy gets on the megaphone and says, I'm going to lower a rope. Grab this rope. Let me pull you up, right? Let's go to safety. And the guy says, no, no, thank you, thank you, but, you know, I've been praying to God. God's going to come save me. God's going to go do it. Guy gets taken, overtaken by the flood. He dies. Ends up one day, he goes up into heaven. And while he's in heaven, he gets a chance to sit alone with God. And at which point, he said to God, he said, I had faith in you, but you didn't save me. You let me drown. I don't understand why. And God replied, I sent you a rowboat and a motorboat and a helicopter. What more do you expect? Right? This is a trap we can fall into as Christians. Of course, we need to have trust and faith in God, that he's going to work great things in our life. He's going to see us through tough times, and he's going to provide for us. But that doesn't mean we need to sit back and do nothing, right? In Ephesians chapter 5, 15 through 17 reads, See then that ye walk circumspently, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore ye be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. 
The Bible is teaching here that we need to be wise. We need to redeem the time or seize the opportunity, every opportunity that God's placed in front of us, right? We are specifically wise when we take advantage of those opportunities that are in line with the will of God, what he has for us. This is what Joseph does in this situation, right? I think he understands it's not God's will for him to sit in this prison, but he's just not sitting there idly waiting for God to perform some miracle. He sees an opportunity here, right? Because sometimes in this life, it's not about what you know or how good you are. It's about who you know. And it's, it's that way with our salvation, right? It doesn't matter how much of this book we know. It doesn't matter how great of a person we are. It's about who we know. We need to know Jesus Christ as our Savior in order to get to heaven. Well, the same thing in life, right? Sometimes it's about who you know. And he knew, Joseph knew that this cupbearer knew Pharaoh. And he was going to go stand in front of Pharaoh soon. So Joseph sees that opportunity in verse 14, and he tells this cupbearer, this butler, but think of me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. See, Joseph wasn't sitting back and waiting. He wasn't, he wasn't saying like that guy on the roof, well, God's going to save me. If it's God's will, he'll take care of me. I don't need to do anything. He was being wise, trying to redeem his time. But learning to recognize opportunities wasn't the only lesson being learned from Joseph's gift here. He also learned some integrity out of sharing his gift, right? Integrity. As Lou Holtz, former football coach, described the do-right rule, right? When I'm in my business law and I teach in my accounting classes and I teach integrity, I, I tell my students, you know, it's what you do when no one else is looking. It's doing right no matter what the consequences may be. Whether it be good or bad for you, there is right and wrong. There is truth and lies. And you always have to act in the truth, act in the right way. And that is having integrity. So after Joseph, you're right, he gave the interpretation of the dream to the, to the butler, to the cupbearer, and he gave him good news. The baker spoke up. Isn't that like some of the people we know in this world, though? They may not want to hear God's word. They may not want anything to do with God. And then they see some blessings, some great thing that God has done for someone else. And then they want to speak up. Then they want to say, hey, hey me too. I want some of that. Right? But the baker, but the baker spoke up. Right, And he wanted Joseph to interpret his dream also, which Joseph did, starting off in verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I was also in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket there was of all manner of bankments for Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of my basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, and shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh off thee. Boy, I bet the baker wasn't expecting that at all. This was not the interpretation that he probably wanted to hear after just hearing something great to the butler. You know, and honest, it was, it was probably not the, the interpretation. Joseph probably didn't want to tell him this either. You know, he saw that he was already sad. He was looking to comfort him, looking to have some empathy and it would have been very easy here for Joseph to lie, right? To say something, because he knew that the interpretation would, what the interpretation was. He knew that the baker was going to die. He could have thought, I'm going to make his last few days on earth a little more peaceful. I'm going to tell him something that's going to ease his soul, to comfort his mind. But that's not what, what the men and women of God are, are supposed to do. Proverbs 19.1 tells us, Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and in his fool, is a fool. Proverbs 12, tells us lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly 
are his delight. As children of God, we need to be like Joseph. We need to be prepared to share the entire counsel of God's words. You know, and God's words are not always pleasant words. You know, we live in, we live in a culture that wants to affirm everyone, that doesn't want to offend everyone. Everyone has their truth, and their truth should be respected, and their truth is right for them. I'm sorry out there, but, but you don't have your truth, and you don't have your truth, and you don't have your truth. There is only one truth in this world, and that is Jesus Christ, the Word of God, right? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. You know, some people want to claim that there's no such thing as a heaven or a hell. No, heaven and hell, they are real places. They are talked about in our scripture. Well, they say, well, if there is a heaven, all paths lead there, right? It doesn't matter what God you worship. No, what did Jesus say? He says, no one comes to the Father except by me. And if you don't have Jesus in your life, you're going to spend an eternity in hell. And that's not an easy thing to say to people. And that's not an easy concept to grasp. But having integrity, doing what is right, and loving people is letting them know the truth, letting them know what God's word says, even when it's not pleasant, even when it makes you uncomfortable. So, and if we love God, we're going to keep his commandments. We'll walk and speak with integrity and with truth at all times, no matter what may come. The last thing that we can see that Joseph was learning here, our sixth and last thing today, is some patience. Joseph was learning patience while he was in jail. Joseph dreams the interpretations that were given to him by God, they came to pass just as he described, right? And remember, he, he told that butler, he said, when you get out of here and you're standing in front of Pharaoh, remember me. Remember that I'm in here unjustly too. Remember what I have done for you. But yet we read in verse 23, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. You know, we're going to read in verse 41 that he had to wait two years. Two years he was in this prison. God was still by his side, but he had to wait. He had to be patient. I don't know how he got through those two years, but I'm sure he got through them because he knew God was by his side. We're running out of time here today, so I'm going to talk more about this when we get to our next chapter. When we do our next lesson, we get to verse or chapter 41, where Joseph is going to be risen up and then going to be exalted and become second in power in all of Egypt, we're going to talk about how Joseph was remembered because all of his life he's been learning this patience and God was just giving him one last little lesson before he rose him up. So in conclusion, I hope that you, you learn today that we're going to have times of suffering, right? But God is still with us. When he's doing that, he's preparing us. He's working on us. He is refining us. As it says in Isaiah chapter 48, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. Even for my own sake will I do it. For how should my name be polluted and I will not give my glory unto any other. God is preparing us to do something great when we suffer. That only will benefit us, but will ultimately lead for the glory of God. In Joseph's life, those final preparations were teaching him about sermon leadership, teaching him about empathy, how to use your spiritual gifts, how to recognize opportunities and employ integrity and patience in your lives. He was going to exalt him soon, and because of this, God was going to receive praise and glory because he was going to save the whole world through Joseph, and Joseph gave glory to God. 
So the next time you're in a tough situation, I want you to think about what is God trying to do to me today? What is God working on in my life? What do, am I supposed to learn through these hardships and troubles that will make me a better person when I come out of this? And what can I learn here to glorify God in the future? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this lesson out of, out of Genesis chapter 40. Thank you for the story of Joseph and, and how even though he's in prison, Lord, you were still with him and you were still guiding him and you were still teaching him and preparing him for what you had for his future, Lord. hope that we can apply this to our lives, God. I hope we keep good spirits when we come into times of trouble, Lord. Anyone in this congregation that may be hurting or suffering, God, I want them to remember that, that you are still right there with them. Maybe you're teaching them a lesson. Maybe you're helping them learn something that's going to glorify you in the future. As we move forward with the, this morning service, Lord, I, I pray you be with us through the, through the song service and you, and you bless our worship time and be with Pastor and fill him with your spirit as he brings the message. And, and Lord, we're going to dedicate some children today, and I hope that as these young children, you help their parents raise them in the proper way in your name, in the name of the Lord, and they grow up to love and serve you. And as always, we give all the glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.